Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, If you haven't met me, my name's Nick Van Ruth. I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist. Um, If you've heard my story before, I've shared it in a few different contexts. You would know that a a big turning point in my faith was when I was uh, in um, junior high school years, like five, six, seven, eight. Uh, I was bullied a lot for being Christian. Um, And uh, coming out of, um, you know, growing up in Canada and in very much a Christian bubble and then moving to Australia, going to public school for a bit, then a Catholic school, that bubble burst. And I was given a hard time for believing this hogwash about Jesus, even though it was taught in the school I was going to. uh, People thought it was ridiculous uh, for believing it. And, and others, like, silly stuff like kids trying to make me swear and all this kind of thing. Uh, I had a hard time being a Christian uh, in school. That continued into university. Um, I remember there was, there was this time um, in one of the computer lab lectures. I studied engineering, and uh, the lecturer was in the middle of the class, and, like, we were all spread out around him. And at one point, he asked, does anyone here believe in that creation science stuff? And me and a friend, we were sitting next to each other. We put our hands up um, uh, because he asked the question. We answered. Unfortunately, we were behind him. He didn't see us. And then he went on to absolutely smash Christians and people who believe this ridiculous stuff in this old document that's absolutely um, worthless and stupid. And, of course, everyone else in the room, like... (laughs) Uh, knew that here's two Christians in the back he wasn't aware of and it uh, made him out to be quite um, uh, rude and and kind of reflected well for us and had good conversations after that. But I I remember that time quite well, uh, being ridiculed for being Christian. And then there was a time um, at work, uh, it was leading up to Easter, I was having a conversation with my team and my boss was there and, and I can't remember the conversation exactly, but at one point uh, my boss asked me, oh, so do you actually believe this Easter stuff? And I said, yeah, I do. And I saw in his eyes this realisation of this guy believes fairy tales, And just dropping was my scientific integrity. And this is the guy that hired me to be an engineer. And now he's doubting that. And now this didn't affect my, uh, this didn't affect my career. It didn't affect our relationships. I still feel like I got every opportunity that I deserved after that. But I remember that moment when his respect for me dropped because I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I tell these stories because it's hard being a Christian in this world. I get that. I get that. It's hard being a Christian in uh, in a workplace. Not my workplace at the moment. It's quite easy being a Christian um, at Hills Baptist, thankfully. But but in the world, it is tough, and it's getting tougher. Now, we're in a series um, on upper room discipleship, looking at uh, the chapters in John's gospel, 14 through to 17, this, this dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples in this upper room and, and on a walk. And 
uh, where he really unpacks what it means to be a disciple. This was introduced by Dan a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we looked at uh, the nature or how do, how do disciples relate to Jesus when he's gone. And it's like a vine and its branches. Uh, you can reflect on that looking at this piece of artwork by Jackie Grace. This week we're looking at how do disciples relate to the world. Jesus is about to return uh, to his father. He's about to die and rise again. And he's... he's leaving his disciples in the world. How are his disciples, how are we to relate to the world? And we're going to look at two parts. We're going to look a bit of Jesus' teaching and then look at Jesus' prayer uh, to think about these things. Now, this has all become very relevant very quickly in the last couple of weeks with um, Andrew Thornburn, the CEO or the ex-CEO of Essendon, and uh, he effectively was, was forced to choose between uh, being CEO of Essendon or being on the chair of his church. And um, he chose uh, to stick with his convictions and, and, and resigned from uh, Essendon. And this has just caused a whole heap of uh, discussion and, um, and this has made this whole being a Christian in a public space very public at the moment. It's a, it's a hot topic. Everyone seems to be talking about this. And I kind of feel like there, there's this season of, of panic, of this is such a public setting where someone's been discriminated for being Christian. And there seems to be more and more pressure, more and more persecution. And there's this fight for freedom. And I, I'm recognizing this, this narrative in, in, in the Christian world that... Um, that Christians should be, we should be valued and accepted in our society. Like, don't, don't they know that our country was founded on Christian values? And don't they know that the Christian ethos is, uh, uh, is the, the ethos that will lead to the world flourishing? Why does the world hate us Christians? Why does the world hate Christians? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, It'll be on the screen. If the world hates you, he said to his disciples, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Why does the world hate Christians? Because the world hates Christ. Now, we need to uh, clarify some things. What does Jesus mean by the world? When he says the world, what is he referring to? Uh, in John's gospel, who's recording this little dialogue here, uh, the world used there, the word Greek word used there is cosmos, um, which could mean the whole universe and everything like that. But when John uses it, it refers to something a bit more specific. It's first used in John chapter 1, 9 and 10, where it says the true light, talking about the word, talking about Jesus, the true light, which gives light to everything, Everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is the world that God made, God created, and yet they did not know him. And yet this created world rejected God when its own way. And throughout the, the, the gospel, throughout this particular book, this word cosmos, the word 
world is used in a negative sense as the world that's rebellious against Jesus, the world that's rejected Jesus, the world that hates Jesus. And there's some exceptions. One of the main exceptions is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And we could see that as the world is so lovely that God sent Jesus into the world. That's not what it means. Even in spite of the world's rejection, God so loved the world. Gives so much more meaning and, and volume to the love of God. And so effectively, uh, the world, when used in John's gospel, one uh, writer said, it's the created moral order in active rebellion against God. It's society, it's culture, it's people who do not submit to Jesus as king. That's what Jesus means by the world. And that's what us as Christians find ourselves in is a world that on the whole has rejected Jesus as king. Now, what does Jesus mean by hate? Because Jesus said, uh, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Now this word, um, miseo, uh, can mean hate or a strong aversion for, it could also mean um, to detest something, to, to actually be completely revolted by something. It can mean disfavor, uh, to dishonor and disfavor, and, and well, this thing is worthless and useless. Or it could mean disregard, to ignore, to, to reject and be ignorant of. And all these responses is a reflection of how the, the world hates Jesus, how the world has responded to God. It could, it could be utter detest. It could be disfavor. Or could we just disregard him entirely? That's how Jesus was treated when he was in the world. And that's the same experience us Christians often find as well. Now, why does the world hate Jesus? Why does the world hate Jesus? Well, he, Jesus gives an answer in verses 22 to 25. Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, to the world, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason." Jesus has two statements there. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. The work that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said convicted people of their sin. The world hates Jesus because Jesus exposes sin. Exposes uh, our rebellious hearts. Now, when we're, uh, when we're challenged, when we're offended, uh, you know, often we, we respond with fight or flight. That's the natural response of humanity to any kind of uh, challenge or, or offense or anything like that. And when the world is exposed that we're, we're not rulers of our own destiny, destiny, that we're not morally good, that we are deserving of judgment, that we are 
sinners. The response is fight or flight. Fight, take offense to that and fend back. Or flight, to, to run away from, to have nothing to do with this God who, who says something of our lives that we don't want to hear. Because it's offensive. There is one other response, and that's faith. To recognize that what Jesus has to say about us is true, that we are sinners. And to trust in Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of that sin and to become a child of God. And when our response is faith, we no longer belong to the world. We belong to Jesus, the one our faith is in. And if we belong to Jesus, we'll be like him. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the world treats us the same. Now, being hated by the world can look like a whole range of different things. It can be being called names. Um, there, there was one girl at one of my workplaces, uh, after a few drinks, she used to call me Jesus Boy, um, which I took as a great honor uh, <laughs> in that context. I don't think she meant it for honor. Um, it might be missed opportunities. Like we've got a very public one uh, known with Andrew Thornburg. I'm sure many here potentially have missed out of opportunities because they're known to be a Christian. There's societies and cultures that, that explicitly legislate against Jesus or against uh, Jesus' truth. It could look like being dishonored or being disowned by your own family. It could be outright discrimination. Can be violent persecution. There is so much that a Christian might experience at the hands of the world, and it can be intense. Something I realized this week, which might be obvious, but it's important. That's only just a shadow of what Jesus experienced at the hands of the world. If we're if we belong to Jesus, we will experience the same response that he experienced from the world. And we have the same mission and purpose that Jesus had in the world. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But just as a comment in passing, I wanted to go more in depth in this, um, but I also wanted to keep the sermon short. Uh, so, and maybe this is the most important thing, but I'll let you figure that out as you reflect on this during the week. But to persevere in the world, Jesus is leaving his disciples and he's talked about his, how the disciples relate to him and it's through Jesus. And he talks about how the disciples are relate to the world. But he also talks a lot about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper who would come and, and sanctify us, to set us apart, to teach us the truth, to remind us the words of Jesus, to keep us from falling away. And the role of the Spirit from these chapters is, is, is two things. It's one, to develop intimacy with Jesus, but it's also to help us persevere in the world that he sent us into. That is the role of the Spirit. But moving, uh, moving ahead a bit, the next thing I wanted to look at is Jesus' prayer. 
Because Jesus establishes this, this reality that his people who are left in the world will be hated by the world. And that actually concerns him so much so that he prays for his people in that context about being in the world. And that's what I want to look at. And so the, a large portion of Jesus' prayer is focused on preparing his disciples for when he leaves them in the world. And I want to look at what does Jesus pray for and how can we apply that? And so Jesus' Jesus' prayer that he prays is in John 17. And if you have a Bible or you're following on, or it is on the screen, uh, from verse 13 uh, through to 19 uh, initially, Jesus prays this. He's speaking to God. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself so that they too may be truly sanctified. Now the first thing that Jesus prays is he prays for protection for his people. And that's one response I think we can have as we go out into the world is to pray for protection. Pray for protection of ourselves, of others, as we go and live and work and serve in the world. Now, what are we praying protection from? Jesus doesn't pray for release or for reprieve. He doesn't pray that they would be removed from the world. He doesn't pray that the world would change to make it easier and simpler for his Christians, for his people. He prays for protection and protection, not from the world, but from the evil one, from the devil, the one who lies and schemes and tries to take us away from Jesus. Because the world might harm us in all kinds of different ways. And that's true of many people around the world. But the worst thing that the evil one can do is to take us away from Jesus, is to deceive us and that we might fall away. In, in chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, all, I've told you all these things so that you will not fall away. What Jesus is concerned about is not their well-being, but their relationship. And I think, well, I know the great risk, our great vulnerability in the world as Christians is not that we're harmed by the world, but that it takes us away from Jesus. That the challenges, the pressures, the distractions, the deceptions makes us forget who we are in Jesus. It makes us uh, forget what we have through Jesus. It makes discipleship too hard to persevere. It makes Jesus too distant to relate to. And the devil 
swoops in and deceives us and pulls us away. And that's not a quick process. It's not a quick process. In the words of um, Mac Powell from Third Day. Anyone know Third Day? Any Third Day fans here? I very proudly hold my hand up for that. One of their songs is Slow Fade. I'll read you some of the lyrics. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white is turned to gray and thoughts invade and choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. The devil is deceptive. He's also patient. So pray for protection. Pray for protection from the evil one. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for me. Pray for your pastors. Pray for protection. The second thing that Jesus prays or says in his prayer is that they are not of this world even as I am not of it. An important thing to take away from that is know where we belong. Know where you belong. We don't belong to the world. That's not our home. Our home is with God. We belong to Jesus, not to the world. So when we are hated, when we're rejected, dishonored, whatever the world might do to us, it doesn't matter because that's not our home. That's not what's most important to us. Having things, having possessions, having status in the world. What matters to a disciple is the heart of a father, our heavenly father, who loves us dearly. One, John, John wrote a letter, same guy who wrote this or recorded this prayer. Um, one John in four, verse four says, little children, you are from God and have overcome the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We need to know where we belong. And for anyone, any parents in the room, we need to teach our kids where they belong, who they belong to. As they grow up in a world that's more and more secular, more and more separated from God, there's more and more challenges and distractions and deceptions than, than the West has ever experienced. And I, I don't think the answer is to remove Christians from the world, remove them from the world. I think that the answer is to teach our kids well who they are. Teach them the gospel, that Jesus loves them, he died for them, that they are children of God. Teach them that they have the Holy Spirit that will guide and, and protect them. Teach them they belong to Jesus. We need that message. Our kids need that message. The next thing Jesus prays, he prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays for his disciples' sanctification. Now, that's a big, fancy biblical word. Effectively, it means being set apart. Set apart for something holy. Uh, being sanctified is being different 
from the world that we find ourselves in. We act differently. We think differently. We make decisions differently. And to live out God's purposes in the world, we need to be transformed from the ways of the world to the ways of Jesus. We need to be sanctified by the truth set apart to know and tell and live by, not by lies, but by the truth. And again, this doesn't come quickly, but progressively. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We need to be in the word, the word of Jesus, the the scriptures that reveal us who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we are in him. As we spend time in his word with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, he will transform us. He will sanctify us. And this whole discussion has been leading to this point from the scenario of Jesus washing his disciples' feet to eating up the room and describing the, the vine and relating to Jesus. It's, it's so that his disciples would become more and more and more like Jesus, like Jesus in the world. We need to dwell with Jesus in his word so that we can reflect Jesus in the world. In the world. We need to be sanctified. So doing that work, letting God do that work in us. The fourth thing uh, Jesus says, he says, as you have sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. We're sent into the world. Now this world that has actively rejected God and actively goes against his ways and, and hates God and hates God's people, This is the world that God loves. That God loves so much that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, will not perish, but will have eternal life. And now he has sent you and he has sent me into the world. He has sent his disciples into the world to carry on that mission that people might believe in the Son and be freed from condemnation, free from death and and inherit and receive eternal life. Jesus was sent in the world and now he's sent us into the world. This is the call of the Christian. And so many times it feels like we need to escape the world, that we need to withdraw, we need to um, change our scenarios. But that is precisely where God has sent us to be, to love, to share Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we don't help Christians uh, out of harmful situations Uh, or anything like that. Absolutely, we should be careful and considerate and um, not take unhelpful or, um, um, what's the word? Unwise in in our approach to the world and and the situation where we might find ourselves. What I am saying is we need to stop seeing the world as the enemy, even though they might see us as the enemy. But we should see the world as Jesus sees the world. 
lost sheep without a shepherd, his beloved creation, his mission field. Because God has sent us into the world. The next thing that Jesus says a little bit later in the prayer, he prays for all believers, not just his disciples, but those the disciples uh, who will believe in Jesus through their message. And verse 22 and 23 says, I have given them uh, the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to compute so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for unity, for unity in his people. And so as we go out in the world, as we're sent into the world, what we need is to be unified. We are in this together. And it's our love for one another and our unity that will reveal that we are God's people. And as the world gets messier and harder, we need each other more and more to pray for each other, to remind each other where we belong, to dwell in the Word together, to hear God's voice together, to encourage one another in the mission that God has sent each and every one of us, whatever context He sent us into, We need each other. We need to be gathering and encouraging and blessing and challenging one another. All the more, all the more as this world changes and as things get harder, we need each other. Now, we're we're seeing increasing uh, challenges for the church, for Christians in in our context, in the Western context. And... um, Various people have said that the, the Western world is changing from you know, being positive towards Christianity to being neutral about Christianity to being negative about Christianity. And our response kind of needs to change, you know, to, to engage with that. But I think it's helpful to look throughout history. What has been the response of Christians to persecution, particularly on a government, society, cultural level? great place to look is the early church. The first 300, 400 years or so, the Christian, Christians were intensely persecuted, intensely blamed for all kinds of things they didn't do, brought and into uh, arenas to, to fight animals, uh, burnt, crucified, all these kind of things. Christians experienced incredible prejudice, incredible persecution. And how did Christians respond in that context, in that scenario? Well, there was one, um, I, I, I was reading around a bit, and uh, there's one Roman emperor in the, the third century, fourth century, uh, Roman emperor Flavius Claudius Julianus, Emperor Julian, let's call him, um, he wrote this, while the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans, now that's what he means by Christians, devote themselves to works of charity. And by a display of false compassion, they have established and even given effect to their uh, pernicious errors. Effectively, he's saying, they're doing all this compassion stuff and that's given more weight to this heresy they're teaching, that there's a God who loves them and Jesus rose again. See their love feasts 
and their tables spread for the indigent, indigent, sorry, indigent, the poor and the lowly and the, the oppressed. Such practice is common among them and causes contempt for our gods. And elsewhere he says, these impious Galileans, Christians again, not only feed their own poor, but ours also, welcoming them into their love feasts. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. So the early church response to a world that hates them, bake a cake. (laughs) Show hospitality. Show hospitality. Love people, be like Jesus, be sent into the world. In a world, um, and in, in this context, a world that hated them, the early church spread like wildfire. And it was you look over in places around the world where there is intense, harsh persecution and prejudice against Christians, what we see is that Christians are spreading like wildfire. People are recognizing that there is something different about these people. And God is speaking to people uh, through dreams and through revelation and through His Word. And people are being converted by the thousands in places like China and places like Iran and places all over the world where, where persecution is intense. God is moving powerfully because His people are just demonstrating the love that Jesus has shown them. Even even to a world that hates them. The world is not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. And Jesus has defeated the enemy. The world that God has created, uh, though it's deceived and enslaved and rejecting God, hating him and hating his people, this is the world that God loves. This is the world that he sent his son to die, to rise again for. And this is the world he sent us into. So let's be like Jesus, show hospitality, be kind, particularly in our online interactions. I'm so disappointed when I see Christians speaking truth cruelly, being harsh, being unkind. And though they might speak the truth, they are not reflecting Jesus. And it's disappointing. When we go to work, be the one to shout a colleague a coffee and ask them how was their weekend. And they might reciprocate and you're able to say, I went to church. I hold a message about the world and how the world hates Christians and you hate me, but I love you. You can do with that as you will. Bake them a cake. Lots to learn from the early church. But one thing I wanted to discuss just to finish up, and I'll break you into groups, is we've got Halloween coming up, a pagan festival full of uh, evil spirits and all these kind of things, a very worldly event. Based on what we've heard and what Jesus said and what Jesus prayed, I want everyone to break into groups of, of three or four. And if you have your kids with you, include them in this discussion. How will we engage with Halloween this year. How will we engage in Halloween this year? All right, I'll give you a couple of minutes. All right. 
I won't wrap you up there, but do keep chatting about this after the service. It'll be a good chance for us as a community to work out what is a tricky, um, tricky discussion. But just a, um, a few thoughts I'd have to wrap us up. One thing is, um, if you have kids who want to get involved or uh, things like that, pray with your kids for protection. Like it would be, be unwise and ignorant to um, deny any kind of spiritual element with this uh, festival that celebrates the occult. So pray for protection. And remember that Jesus is stronger than, than whatever spiritual forces are going on in that, for, in that space. I also pray that you're not distracted by the consumerism of it all. Just like every festival, the world just makes it all about me and what I can eat, <laughs> what I can consume. Um, the other thing, like Halloween uh, is a celebration of death. It's this one time of year where you see all these skeletons and, and tombstones and all that kind of stuff. And that's a great opportunity for Christians to talk about death. Just like Christmas... We're sometimes allowed to talk about Jesus. Um, Halloween, we're allowed to talk about death. And so you could ask the question, what do you think about life after death? What do you think happens? It creates a great opportunity to even just get people thinking or even speak truth about Jesus conquering death. I think, um, I think we, should, we should love and show hospitality, um, uh, putting out the chocolates, maybe like depending on how we do that in a way that either endorses the occult side of stuff or not. I think chocolates are chocolates. Um, kids love them. I love them. We also, for, for us, um, there's a Halloween street party on our street, and that's the, the main opportunity for us to engage with our neighbors. Like we don't really do anything Christmas or Easter or any other time of the year. Um, so I think it's important for us to, to go and be part of that just to, Grow those relationships. Now, we'll be careful about what we dress up as and think through that kind of stuff. We'll pray for protection. But I think Jesus wants us to go, to be part of that, to meet people, to love people, to speak truth in a world that denies him, that hates him. And, um, yeah, and again, praying for opportunities to speak the truth in those scenarios. The world hated Jesus. The world hates Christians. But God loves the world. And we are called to love the world. That's God's mission for us. It's God's purpose for us. And he's equipped us for that. So why don't we pray and then we're going to finish with worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, calling us out of the world. A world that rejected you. A world that was deceived a world that's going its own way that leads to destruction. You saved us. Even though we were rebellious and hated you, you loved us and you saved us. You've called us out of the world to be your people. God, we pray you would help us to live out in the world, that you would sanctify us, you'd keep changing us to be more and more like Jesus that you'd protect us from the evil one, that we would not fall away or be distracted or deceived by the world or by uh, the devil or by anything, Lord, that we, you would draw us close. We pray you would help and equip us to love the world, to love our colleagues, to love our neighbours, to love our families, 
to love the world that you created so that you would be glorified so that by our love, they might see your love. And your desire is not to, to condemn the world, but that the world might be, might be that people would be saved. We, we pray you would use us in that, use us in your mission. And be with us, Lord. Keep us close to you through your spirit, through your word. Encourage us in this world as things go more and more crazy. Let us get a bigger and bigger vision of who you are and what you've done for us. Because you are greater than the one who is in the world. We thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.